listening to Let the Bible Speak. Let the Bible Speak is the radio ministry of the Free Presbyterian Church. Stephen Pollock is the pastor of Free Presbyterian Church of Malvern, Pennsylvania. The church is located at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. Thank you for joining us today as Dr. Pollock opens the Word of God and lets the Bible speak. Hello and welcome to this latest episode of Let the Bible Speak. It is my privilege to bring the Word of God to you week by week. It is our burden and desire that the people of this area would be properly informed regarding the truth according to the Scriptures. We believe in the Bible to be the only infallible rule of faith and practice for the people of God. It guides us towards Christ as our only Saviour, and it shows us how to live in a fallen world. Today, we're continuing our studies in First Timothy, and we're looking at the subject of false teaching. It's a very important subject to deal with, and we have it contained for us here from the verse number 3 of First Timothy chapter 1. Where Paul says, As I besought thee, that is, he besought Timothy, to abide still at Ephesus when I went into Macedonia, that thou mightest charge some that they teach no other doctrine, neither give heed to fables and endless genealogies, which minister questions rather than godly edifying which is in faith, so do. Now the end of the commandment is charity out of a pure heart and of a good conscience and of faith unfeigned, from which some, having swerved, have turned aside into vain jangling, desiring to be teachers of the law, understanding neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Let's just pray for a moment as we ask God to help us as we consider his word afresh today. Eternal God, our Father in heaven, we thank you again for the Bible. We thank you for the word of God and we pray that as we study it for a time that you would help us to understand the word and give us discernment We're looking at this important subject of false teaching, and we pray that you'd use even this message to guard the hearts of your people from those who would turn them away from truth into error. And so guard your church, we pray, through your word and by your spirit, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. The church has always been in danger. It's always been under threat. There's always trouble without in the form of persecution. Those who hate Christ hate those who follow Christ. But there's also trouble within the church. And here in 1 Timothy chapter 1, we have Paul teaching Timothy regarding the danger of trouble that arises within the church. There is an interesting connection between 1 Timothy chapter 1 and the church in Ephesus as we have it revealed in Acts chapter 20. In Acts 20, Paul asks the Ephesian elders to join him. And there he gives them some very important words of instruction. In 1 Timothy chapter 1, we see that Paul is seeking that Timothy abides at Ephesus. And the danger was that false teachers had come into the church. Paul would predict this. It says in Acts 20 in the verse 29, For I know this, that after my departing shall grievous wolves enter in among you, not sparing the flock. Also, of your own selves shall men arise, 
speaking perverse things to draw away disciples after them. So the wolves that Paul describes in those verses, uh, they correspond to the false teachers, the men who are seeking perverse things. And so immediately we see the danger of false teaching, and that danger is always present in the church of Christ. False teachers are in Ephesus. And the challenge we face in our culture is that we live in an age of supposed tolerance. Tolerance. Everything must be tolerated except the intolerant. Never tolerate the intolerant. That's the mantra of the age. Let people live and let them believe what they want. And that has led many in the church to be insecure as to what they believe. If everything has the potential to be true, then how do we know that we possess truth? And if we're not insecure, then at least we're cautious about seeing and naming false teachers. In the spirit of tolerance, we are cautious about ever calling someone a false teacher. And yet, in 1 Timothy chapter 1 and the verse 20, Paul names Hymenaeus and Alexander as examples of false teachers. I don't think we can be absolutely dogmatic as to what the false teachers are teaching here in 1 Timothy, but they are mentioned as desiring to be teachers of the law in verse number 7. So undoubtedly there are false teachers, and it would seem to be that they have a a sincerity, a desire to teach the law. I believe that's a reference to the Old Testament scriptures. Hence the the false teachers would seem to be coming from the group of false teachers known as Judaizers. Those who taught that there must be some conformity to the Jewish laws for someone to be saved, even for Gentiles to be saved. They had to conform to some form of the Jewish law. You couldn't just believe in Christ. You had to have Christ plus law. Now Paul, he doesn't remove the benefit of the law altogether. Verse number 8 it says, But we know that the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Hence the implication is that these false teachers are misusing the law, misusing the word of God. Paul refers to them as teaching another doctrine. In verse 3, That thou mayest charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Later on in the epistle in chapter 6, He would say, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness. So there are those within the church who are teaching doctrine contrary to that taught by the Apostle Paul, ultimately contrary to that taught by Christ himself, for Paul learnt his doctrine from the Lord. We have seen that in our recent studies. So these false teachers are a dangerous presence in the church. And to be aware of such is vital for the church in every age. We must be alert to the possibility of false teachers teaching in the name of the Lord, but teaching falsehood and in so doing, drawing away disciples after themselves. So let me begin by considering the foundation of false teaching. And the foundation of false teaching is in a misunderstanding of the scriptures. Verse 7 of this first chapter tells us that these false teachers understand 
neither what they say nor whereof they affirm. They don't understand the Scriptures. Now, we must be very careful, therefore, regarding our knowledge and our understanding of the Word of God. Paul tells the Corinthian believers in chapter 14 of his first letter, Brethren, be not children in understanding. Well, howbeit in malice be ye children, but in understanding be men. To the Ephesian church, he says, Wherefore be ye not unwise, but understanding what the will of the Lord is. All teaching must be agreeable to the word of God. We must be able to demonstrate that what is being taught is according to the truth revealed in the scriptures. The Old Testament prophet, chapter 8 of Isaiah says, To the law and to the testimony, if they speak not according to this word, it is because there is no light in them. The challenge we face is that there are many false teachers who misuse the scriptures. And thus the people of God are deceived because they they hear reference to the word of God and they presume, therefore, that these are Bible teachers. But just because the Bible is being used does not mean it's being used correctly. And that's what's happening here in Ephesus. They are using the word of God, but they are using it in a manner that does not reveal understanding. Do pray, please, dear child of God, do pray for your pastors Do pray for those who minister the word of God to you, that they, by the Spirit of God, will be given maturity and clarity and understanding the word, that they be guarded from any false doctrine which they they would then teach you. We need the Lord to guide us in truth, and we must be careful in understanding the scriptures. There is a reason why the novice was not to be granted the role of elder. There was still a immaturity in in their understanding of the word of God. And so we think of the importance of an educated ministry. We see the importance of men of God understanding doctrine and church history. And that those who are teaching us, they must be proficient in the word of God so that in turn we are guarded from false teaching. But But if that is the foundation of false teaching... What are some of the features of these false teachers? Well, we we should note that, first of all, they may be sincere. The word desiring, desiring to be teachers of the law in this verse 7, speaks of those who were teaching wholeheartedly, willingly. It's a word that speaks of the act of of the will. They genuinely thought that they were teaching the law. They genuinely thought that they were seeking to guide people in truth. We shouldn't presume that all false teachers are malicious in their deception. For some, that may be the case. But in other cases, the devil uses sincere men, but sincere men who are sincerely wrong. I once heard it said that uh, you never meet an apostate who isn't a nice guy. Yet, So often in this world, we can't question sincerity. But here we see another example whereby people can be sincere and genuine, and yet they can be wrong. There are those on the religious television programs, and they say all manner of falsehood, but they do so in sincerity. They they seem to do so from the very heart. They don't seem to be deceivers. They don't seem to be duplicitous in their teaching. 
And yet here we see that there are those who in sincerity are teaching another doctrine. Because as they are sincere, they are guilty of what Paul calls a swerve. It says there in the verse 6, From which some having swerved have turned aside unto vain jangling. If you're driving your car and you swerve, uh, you go off the straight. This word speaks of a moving away from truth into error. It's, it's not so much that there are two parallel pathways. It is that these false teachers for a time have been walking in a straight path in the word of God, but they swerve off that straight path into error. Paul in this same epistle, chapter 6, verse 21, describes these false teachers in these terms, which some professing have erred concerning the faith. Or in the second epistle to Timothy, he says this, who concerning the truth have erred, saying that the resurrection is past already. And this is the danger of false teaching. It is that when false teaching arises, it is often not a new road, but a departure from the old. It is the subtlety of false teaching. Liberalism at the end of the 19th century into the early part of the 20th century did not set out to deny the gospel. And for many of them, they wanted to uphold the social aspect of Christianity. But as they demonstrated the importance of loving the neighbour, so at the same point, they embraced a, a modernistic view of scripture, denying the supernatural, and in the end, denying the gospel in its entirety. Because as they denied the virgin birth and denied the resurrection, so they laid siege upon the very fundamentals of the Christian faith. They thought the Bible was teaching that Christians should be kind and loving to their neighbour, and of course that's true. But as they demonstrated that, they then at the same point said, we therefore do not need to see all of the supernatural details in the word of God. It's all about the morality of scripture, not the authenticity and the historicity of scripture. But in so doing, they denied the very gospel. There are those in the antinomian camp who are teaching that the law is not the rule of practice for the believer. They understand the importance of justification, that those who are justified are pardoned fully of all their sins and that the penalty of the law has been removed. And that's true. But they've swerved off the word of God by taking from that truth the principle that God's Ten Commandments do not apply to the believer today. And that's not taught in the word of God. Even here in 1 Timothy chapter 8, or chapter 1, sorry, Paul says, for we know that the law is good. So you see the subtlety. The false teaching is a swerve off the straight path. It is not a, a new path often. It is a swerving away from the old paths of righteousness. And so these false teachers, they, they may be sincere. They may swerve off the straight. They also tend to speculate. And we have that here. There's this vain jangling in verse number 6. There is the idea that they give heed to fables and endless genealogies. That they were drawing things out of the Old Testament that, that were not there. And they taught in such a way that led to questions rather than to edification. And so there's speculation in their ministry. Oh, the man of God must be very careful that when he teaches truth, he can say, Thus and thus saith the Lord. 
that there is no speculation in the word of God. Well, these are dangerous times in which we live. We're living in unprecedented times, and that's certainly caused people to dig into their Bibles to see, well, what does the Bible say about a global pandemic? And the danger is that there will some who will speculate from verses in Daniel or Ezekiel or Revelation, and they will, they will, they will see meanings in those verses and try to parallel them with the present situation. But much of it will be speculation, and there is a danger as we speculate that we will then end up in false teaching. Because whilst those who are sincere and are speculating, they ultimately begin to speak falsehood. Paul used this term, they've turned aside unto vain jangling. Literally, foolish talking. Titus 1.10 tells us this, For there are many unruly and vain talkers and deceivers. Deceivers, those who are persuading people in their falsehood to follow them into error. And so you see how relevant these verses are regarding the false teaching that may indeed be present in our own day and generation. And so I mean, having thought about the foundation of false teaching in a misunderstanding of the word of God and the features of false teaching, uh, let's, let's note the opposition to this false teaching. Well, Paul tells us that those who are opposed to false teaching must be those who are serving in the role of the pastoral ministry. He tells Timothy that Timothy might charge some that they teach no other doctrine. Paul had warned the elders in Ephesus to teach no other doctrine. He had warned the elders in Ephesus that as they would find themselves in their ministry, that these wolves would arise, that they would guard and oversee the flock of God, that they'd protect the flock of God. I believe I believe that Jude teaches us that every single believer is to contend earnestly for the faith. But there is a peculiar obligation upon the leaders of the church to guard the fellowship from error. It's a peculiar obligation upon the elders, the oversight of the church, to ensure that the wolves are identified and removed. Now, it's vital to be part of a fellowship where this is practiced. Dear child of God, I don't know your church background or, or where you're attending at this present time, but I urge you, make sure that you are in a fellowship where your leaders will guard from false teaching. That they will not allow false teaching to come in to the church or arise in the church, but they will ensure that the church continues on the old paths of gospel truth. They will not swerve away from the, the fundamentals of the faith, the truth that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. And in that death, there is a full and sufficient sacrifice for sin. And that those who believe in him, they shall not perish but have everlasting life. There is danger in the church from a denial of the gospel. Sometimes it is seen in, in very subtle ways. There are those in the Protestant faith who, who would not profess to teach works salvation. They would not profess to teach that you're saved because of your receiving of certain sacraments. But there's an interesting insertion in the Episcopalian Book of Common Prayer where it describes baptism as marking the beginning of a journey with God 
which continues for the rest of our lives. Describing God's gift in baptism as new birth in Christ, a new direction in life as God's child and calling to be a lifelong faithful disciple of Christ. That, that, is, that is not true. Baptism does not bring someone into the new birth. Baptism does not make someone a disciple of Christ. The word of God is clear that we are born again by the Spirit of God. Not by water baptism, not even by our decision. We're born again by the sovereign work of God, and in that sovereign work of God, we then come to believe in the gospel. And so we must guard ourselves from things that are very familiar to us, and yet can, in a subtle fashion, be embraced unto great error, leading to views denying the very gospel of salvation by faith alone, in Christ alone, and all this by grace alone. So Paul is highlighting to Timothy the danger of false teaching. He's made the issue very, very clear that the misuse of Scripture will lead to the damnation of souls. False teachers, as he said to the elders in Ephesus, they draw away disciples after themselves. But as we close today, let me just make a comment regarding the proper use of the law. For, for Paul, he does highlight that. He says the law is good if a man use it lawfully. Because he says, knowing this, that the law is not made for a righteous man, but for the lawless and disobedient, for the ungodly and for sinners, for unholy and profane, for murders of fathers and murders of mothers, for manslayers, for whoremongers, for them that defile themselves with mankind, for men-stealers, for liars, for, perjur- for perjured persons, and if there be any other thing that is contrary to sound doctrine. And what he's saying here is the law is to be used for the conviction of sinners. The law is a schoolmaster, leading the lost to see their sins and to get to Christ Jesus. The law is also for the confirmation of the saints. Here you have in verse 5, Now the end of the commandment, or the law, is charity out of a pure heart, and of a good conscience, and of faith unfeigned. The law of God is good. It does guide, it does guide the child of God into sincerity of Christian love. It teaches them how to love their neighbour. It teaches them how to serve God. Not into salvation, but out of salvation. And the law is taught so that believers will live as they ought to live. That life summarised in one word, love. Loving God and loving our neighbour. That is the end of the commandment, is charity or love out of a pure heart, a good conscience and a faith unfeigned. The law is useful in producing sincerity of heart in the life of the child of God. The law, in the context of the gospel, gives us tremendous hope. When we see the law, we see how we cannot ever keep the law. When we see the law and we understand the commandments of God, we see that we need a saviour, one to redeem us from the curse of the law. We need one to live and die in our room and stead. In Christ He achieved that in his life, death, burial, and resurrection. He overthrows the law, the curse of the law, in the behalf of those for whom he died. He gives deliverance and redemption. 
And thus we can say, as Paul does, that this sound doctrine that he taught is according to the glorious gospel of the blessed God. And so the law can be misused. The Bible can be misused. But the Bible, the law properly used, shows sinners their sin. And it shows them Christ. It shows them the Saviour. And as they come to see Christ, so they desire to live like Christ. And as Christ kept the law perfectly, so true believers seek to live as Christ lived. And so there you see, in these few short words, just a general summary of the benefit of the law of God alongside the danger, the peril of the misuse of the word of the living God. I do pray that in this generation the Lord would guard us from false teaching and raise up men who would have an eye to identify the false teacher in the midst. There would be those in our congregations who would have an ear, an ear to perceive that that is not according to the word of God. We're thankful that God has revealed his gospel to our souls. May we love it and treasure it, and may it indeed be stored up in our hearts that we'd live for God wholeheartedly in these days. Well, let me close with a word of prayer. Again, I thank you for listening. If you want to get in touch with us, please do so. The email address is malvernfpc at yahoo.com. Please do uh, get in touch. Uh, Let us know how the word of God is a benefit to your heart. Uh, And let's seek to encourage each other in these days for the glory of Christ in his church. Let's, Let's all pray. Eternal God and our Father in heaven, we thank you for the inspiration of the Apostle Paul in the writing of these words. We thank you for the direction and the clarity they give us to guard our hearts, to guard our minds from every error. We pray that you'd enable your people to be mature in the word of God. Give us all a renewed zeal to study the scriptures, to be diligent in understanding its meaning, and that we would not be easy prey to the wolves, but rather we would be discerning and realize the danger of false teaching in our day. Oh Lord, we thank you for the pure gospel. And we pray you bless those pastors and ministers who are preaching Christ, who are preaching free grace, and who are preaching the fact that those who believe in the Savior will indeed be saved and kept for all eternity. Bless us today. Keep your good hand upon us. Help us to walk in your ways to the glory and honor of your name. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Thank you for taking the time to listen to this episode of Let the Bible Speak from Malvern Free Presbyterian Church. If you'd like more information about the gospel or the church, please call 610-993-3170 or email malvernfpc at yahoo.com. We extend an invitation to all to join us as we worship the Lord each week. You will be made very welcome. The church is situated at 80 Mallon Road, Malvern, Pennsylvania, at the junction of 401 and Mallon Road. We meet for worship on the Lord's Day at 11 a.m. and 6 p.m. A Bible study and prayer meeting is also held on Wednesday evening at 7 p.m. We preach Christ crucified.